Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 14 in the books. How are you doing? You staying warm up there? Yeah, uh, it was 71 degrees on Saturday. Um, or I guess 71 degrees on Sunday. It was 67 on Saturday here. Well, damn. So weather's been real good in Virginia for a week and a half before Christmas. I didn't know this was a global warming podcast now. Oh, <laughs> we, uh, hey man, we, we're like a chameleon. We, we can evolve <laughs> Whatever topic you choose. We will talk about anything, and we will sound like we know what we're talking about while actually just spouting a bunch of nonsense. You never know. We'll say it with conviction anyway. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, as I mentioned, week 14 in the books, we have five games that we need to recap here. Um, Each of them, I felt like, were fairly eventful in, in various ways, so we will get through those. There's really only one place we can start this weekend, and it, it just... Wow, what a game. Number 17, North Carolina, 62, Miami, the number 10 Miami Hurricanes, 26. (laughs) Javante Williams and Michael Carter in this game. Holy smokes, Mike. They combined for 47 carries for 544 rushing yards and five touchdowns. And what's crazy, Mike, is that for some reason in the postgame press conference, uh, Miami had Nick Saban sitting in. For Manny Diaz, I don't know why, but he, he did have this to say. And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. Uh, yeah, they absolutely did, Nick. That was – what a performance. Wow. Uh, brutal for <laughs> Miami here, Mike. Oh, Miami. Yikes. Thanks to Mike for pulling that sound, by the way. Yes. Hi. First one that came to mind after watching that game. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Miami allowed a school record 778 total yards of offense. Mm-hmm. Blake Baker, bro, what are you doing? Big yikes, big yikes. Uh, yeah, the, the, that 540-some yards from Carter and Williams, uh, that set a new NCAA record for rushing yards in a game by a set of teammates. Uh, that was something else. Uh, Sam Howell was good when he had to be, 14-19 for 223 and a touchdown. But again, he only had to throw 19 passes in this game. They just kept handing it off and handing it off. And as, as it was pointed out, Mike, it was largely like the same concept that North Carolina was running over and over and over, and Miami just couldn't stop it. Or it's probably worth questioning, like, maybe they just didn't have the will to stop it at times. It seemed like there was an effort issue in here for Miami. Yeah, it started going downhill quick. Like, North Carolina ran the ball well early, and then it just felt like the fight wasn't there for Miami's defense. And the front seven, uh, just total lack of adjustments, being out of position. Honestly, it reminded me of Virginia Tech's defense for most of the uh, most of the game, where mm-hmm. you know the big problem that we talked about on this podcast for Tech is like they've been out of position a lot in their front seven, a big reason why they've had trouble stopping the run at times this year. And it felt like Miami was kind of caught in that same sort of rut 
and North Carolina ran it so incredibly well in this football game, but and give North Carolina credit for the type of offense that they are and, and the way that they can produce. But at some point, you've got to point to the other side and be like, yo, Miami, you've got to make some adjustments. I mean, it looks like North Carolina was running the same play or a similar type of running play, whether it was a counter or that sweep action over and over and mm-hmm. over. Miami just had no business stopping it. And it wasn't even like they were in position to do it. It was, you know, they didn't make any adjustments. You would think that being down uh, 34 to 10 at halftime would prompt you to make some adjustments. It really didn't. I mean, North Carolina scores 28 more points in the second half. 21 of those come in the fourth quarter. And it was just a total dominant effort. I felt really bad for De'Ara King in this game because Mm -hmm. it felt like every time Miami's offense came off the field, North Carolina just goes out and puts up another touchdown on the board, especially in the first half. De'Ara King, his numbers actually weren't too terrible. He had 53 yards rushing. He had almost 240 yards passing, went 18 to 30. He did have the one interception, but he did throw two touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. Previn Jordan mm-hmm. had a huge game, uh, six catches, 140 yards, and a touchdown. Welcome back. Good to see you healthy. So, you know, it wasn't like Miami's offense was so objectively terrible in this football game. It was just that they were up against it, too. Sure, they weren't as efficient as we've seen Miami's offense be over the course of the year. And give North Carolina's defense a lot of credit, too, by the way, because yeah. That, yeah. that was a big part of the preview was, okay, can North Carolina's defense uh, not only slow down Miami's offensive attack, but can Miami's defense hold North Carolina's offense down for much of the game? And we knew the answer to the second question pretty quickly. We knew it was pretty apparent Miami was not going to stop North Carolina on Saturday, but I give North Carolina as a defense a lot of credit because that's what's lost in this game. I mean, it's easy to look at and be like, all right, 778 yards of offense, you score 62 points. Like, that is the headline. It should be the headline, but I thought North Carolina's defense overall played pretty well, and De'Ara King, I think, in spite of that, played well himself to try to give Miami signs of life on the offensive side of the football. It's just when you're going up against that kind of machine offensively and your defensive effort is so piss poor, it's really hard to give the offense for Miami a whole lot of credit. Um, But look, just a really brutal loss for Miami, a shocking loss. It's not shocking. North Carolina won the game. I picked Miami on the preview podcast to win. Uh, You picked North Carolina to win. Neither one of us saw this coming. This was shocking. This was supposed to be one of the best games of the year in the ACC. And it was over by halftime. Yeah. I, if you had asked me a week ago, somebody, you know, somebody's going to win in a blowout, who's it going to be? I probably would have said North Carolina, but I really right. didn't think either of these teams was going to just run away with this game this way. No, no pun right. intended on that, by the way. Um, I, I felt like one of the really key moments in this game, Mike, was towards the very end of the first quarter, Miami had the ball fourth and one, uh, kind of on the edge of field goal range. They elect to go for it, a decision that I'm I'm usually good with, um, especially at right. that part of the field. Like, go for it, try to get six instead of three. Um, I, I think that's a good move. What I never like is when you elect to go for it on fourth and one, and you elect to line up in the shotgun and then hand the ball off up the middle to where the ball starts like six yards behind the line of scrimmage when you only need one. You know, right. I, I prefer like you know get under center, run a QB sneak, or get the ball outside or do something. You know, but they run the ball up the middle. Uh, Donald Cheney has an absolute head of steam at, you know, getting towards the line of scrimmage and Chaz Surratt 
steps up and absolutely stones him, just stops him in his tracks, puts him down right there. It was an amazing tackle, amazing effort by Chaz Surratt, who has really started flourishing as a linebacker for North Carolina. It's been kind of crazy to watch. All ACC player. And then, Mike, so that's a turnover on downs. North Carolina takes the ball. Next play, Michael Carter, 65 yards to the house. Uh, Yep. And I felt like, you know, that at that point, you know, lining up for that fourth and one, it was 14 to three. It was still kind of a close competitive game. And two plays later, it's 21 to three in the way that it happened. I felt like you saw that kind of broke Miami a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and this is the kind of thing, you know, watching that that breaking, you know, that that lack of mental toughness or the, you know, the ability to kind of break them mentally that early in a game. I feel like that's one of the things that I have to keep pointing to that, again, like you mentioned, Derek King kept playing and kept working, and, and he was reasonably productive for a lot of this game. He struggled in ways that he hasn't uh, for a lot of the season, but, you know, the effort was still there. The You know, he's still making throws and doing what he had to, but it just felt like his teammates, especially on defense, like I, I tweeted at one point during the game, there's some quit in this Miami defense. There absolutely yeah. is. Um and I don't know. I, I, I know that Cam and his friends over at uh, stateoftheu.com are, are calling for Blake Baker to be fired, the defensive coordinator here. Um, this is year two of, of Baker as D.C. under uh, Manny Diaz. And I, I don't know if I can say for sure, like, yes, he should be fired, that kind of thing. But, I mean, this if, if you're looking for a performance to point to that would say somebody should be fired, this has got to be up there. You gave this up is almost there when you allow a school record. Yeah, you gave up almost 800 yards of offense and, and that many on the ground, and there was just no adjustment, as you mentioned, Mike. There was no uh, – there's nothing. You know, you just didn't have anything to answer for this down the stretch, you know, so that kind of sucked. Um, I was going to point out, too, Sam Howell, kind of fun looking at the stats for this game. Uh, he had a passing, rushing, and a receiving touchdown in this game. We saw the Chapel Hill special or the Tar Heel special or whatever you want to call it there for a uh, touchdown pass for North Carolina. Um, so that was kind of fun. Uh, other than that, yeah, this was this game completely got away from Miami in a way that I don't think we really expected it to and really kind of calls into question a little bit of, of what we're doing here with Manny Diaz, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. The, the thing that's interesting about this is uh, Miami went into this game as a three-point favorite. You and I were on opposite ends of it. You said you thought the wrong team was favored. Obviously, that that played out. Um, sure, North Carolina, like, looking back on it, we could be like, all right, yeah, North Carolina's a better team. They're not 36 points better. Like, five no. touchdowns better? This is a shocking, jarring performance by Blake Baker's defense. Manny Diaz shouldn't be absolved from this either. I mean, they were not prepared to play. We haven't talked about the fact it was senior day. This game was at home. Like You're playing for a New Year's Six game? Yes, for a New Year's Six game. We talked about this. For an Orange Bowl berth, likely. Um, it, unless something crazy happens in the ACC championship game where Notre Dame gets run off the field and left out of the playoff. Like, you're getting two teams into a playoff with Clemson and Notre Dame in all likelihood. And this game between Miami and North Carolina, like we talked about in the preview, was for an Orange Bowl berth. And you lose by five touchdowns, give up 62 points at a school record, 778 yards of offense. Yeah. That is just a terrible look. I just don't. Look. Manny Diaz, that was a weird hire. Remember how this all went down, right? With Rick, you know, resigning and retiring kind of unexpectedly because he didn't want to part. He didn't want to have to fire his son essentially off the offensive coaching staff. And Miami was in a scramble situation. They reached out to Manny Diaz. They knew he would take the job. This is like two weeks after he left for Temple. 
So, you know, he comes back to his school. It seemed like a weird hire at the time. It was just a familiarity thing because Miami was caught with a hand tied behind their back. And now you look at this and you're like, man, Miami's been, you know, up. They were up and down in year one last year under Diaz. They had a couple of brutal losses on the schedule. They lost to Georgia Tech. They lost to Florida International. Like, there were some really bad losses there for Miami in year one. Year two with De'Ara King, largely successful. But what have you and I said on this podcast? We said De'Ara King is the reason and the difference why Miami is what they are this year. Largely the same team on both sides of the football. De'Ara King and what he brings to the table with the elusiveness and able to think on his feet and make extra plays. And it's not a schematics thing. It's De'Ara King a lot of times being able to do what he does. Well, and I was going to say, Rhett Lashley being part of that offense as well has been another huge difference maker. Of course. And he's probably going to leave, by the way. Like, there's a strong possibility Rhett Lashley's not on the staff next year. So if he goes elsewhere and takes a head coaching job or another Power 5 offensive coordinator job and he's not on the staff next year for Miami, now what do you do? You're back Mm -hmm. to year one Miami. You're back to the last couple years of Mark Richt Miami. I, man, there's going to be a lot to unpack here. Yep. There really is. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that whole question that we've been asking, as you mentioned, of, what does this team become next year if there's no Derek King? And, and especially, like you mentioned also, if, if Rhett Lashley goes and takes a head coaching job somewhere or even gets a bump up to an even bigger offensive coordinator role somewhere, now what? Like, does right. Do we really truly feel like this top 10-ish Miami team will remain a top 10 Miami team without those two guys? Is, right. is Manny Diaz and what he's got on defense and, and whatever he'll bring in on offense, is that enough? And right. <laughs> We'll we'll talk about it in the offseason, Mike. Yeah. You can't you can't lose to a team like North Carolina and and no offense to North Carolina, but Miami has recruited at a better level for longer than North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Take this like one year sample size out of it. You can't lose a game like this by five touchdowns. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. The- I've liked North Carolina. I, I picked them to go to the ACC championship game. You'll remember yep. that. I, you know, I've got a thing for the Tar Heels. I guess you might say. I, I don't think they're that good. They're they're not right. Clemson good. Uh, they're not Clemson good. This was a Clemson type performance. Mm-hmm. Shit. I mean, they beat Miami worse than Clemson did. This yeah. was rollover time. Yep. For the Hurricanes, it was shocking. Last thought on this, Mike. As I'll mention this to Miami is. I think if you're Miami and if you're a Miami fan, you've got to hope that with whatever bowl season is this year, you've got to hope that they go to a bowl game and that yeah. they have the opportunity to wash the taste of this loss out of their mouth. Because if this is the last game that you played and this is what you got to sit on for the next eight or nine months until we play another season, that is not going to be fun. If this is the nope. last thing that you saw from them and the last thing that recruits saw and the last thing, everything, you know, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully for Miami, there is another game to be played here uh, to kind of get the taste out of the mouth. Yep, man, 62-26, shocking. Yeah, staggering, absolutely. Uh, North Carolina, 62, Miami, 26. Let's move on, Mike. Uh, Virginia Tech, 33, Virginia, 15? Sit on them. Huh. Um, Sit on them. I, so I, I was going to say I had a, a thought watching this game that – I felt like the story of this game was the defenses, for yeah. better or for worse. Um, I, I felt like this was a really inspired effort by Virginia Tech's defense. I thought they played really well. Um, they, they gave Virginia's offense a ton of problems. Again, they Virginia was able to rack up some yardage, a little over 300 yards, but were not able to consistently move the ball for you know several uh, several plays in a row for a lot of the game. 
Um, had some trouble with that. And on the other side, Mike, I felt like – I don't know that Virginia Tech's offense was really truly particularly good as much as nope. Virginia had like three or four critical busts on defense that Virginia Tech absolutely made them pay for. Right, which Virginia Tech's offense is capable of doing. I mean, the one thing that we've been consistent with here all year is like Virginia Tech's offense is flawed, but they do have some playmakers. Now, one in particular. Virginia Tech's offense, I totally agree with you. Um, it was not very good in the first half which sounds wild because it was 27 to 7 at halftime but Virginia Tech went on a 17 to nothing run there um, towards the back half of the second quarter I, I guess the Brian Johnson field goal with 634 to play in the second quarter is kind of what started this off but Virginia Tech was just kind of lethargic offensively not re- not really moving the ball you know Virginia actually held the lead here in this game it was seven to three uh, Virginia Tech early defensively did not look very good. Uh, led a long touchdown drive, go right down the field for Virginia. Had, you know, multiple third downs that Virginia converted. Virginia Tech was playing soft zone defense and it was not working out. They made some adjustments. So credit to Justin Hamilton there because if there's one thing we've criticized on this podcast is that Hamilton hasn't been good at making in game adjustments this year. But really, this game totally flipped when Brian Johnson hits a 47 yard field goal. Khalil Herbert, 76-yard touchdown run to the house with four and a half to go, which, uh, like you mentioned, is a is a bust defensively for UVA. But Herbert has been one of the best running backs in the country this year when he's been healthy. So he's going to make you pay for those. And then Tavion Robinson takes uh, an out route on the sideline from Braxton Burmeister. By the way, Braxton Burmeister started here and played the whole game. Um, and I remember thinking early on and and seeing that the you know, Virginia Tech was struggling a little bit to run the ball and thinking if you're yeah. going to win this game on Braxton Burmeister's arm, good luck with that. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. And UVA was probably banking on that, right? But Burmeister, to his credit, played really well, threw for over 200 yards and throws his touchdown pass to Tavion Robinson before halftime, which. I mean, Robinson's really fast, right? But this is a total... UVA is trying to shove... The UVA defender is trying to shove Tavion Robinson out of bounds. He doesn't do it. Robinson keeps his footing, really athletic, and then just turns it up the sideline and see you later. I don't even think Virginia uh, Tech was, like, trying to do anything with that. Like, they were just right. maybe trying to get into field goal range with a few plays or something like that, and all of a sudden, yeah, like, he breaks one tackle and he's gone. Like, right. it was bizarre. Right. Yeah, so see you later up the sideline. It was 27-7 to at halftime. Uh, Virginia Tech comes out in the second half. They score first. It was 30-7. to Brian Johnson, who was great in this game, by the way, hit three field goals of over 46 yards, 146-yarder, 247-yarders. Um, so he was really good in this game. He's been great all year, which has been lost because Virginia Tech as a team has been very good, but he's been one of the best kickers in the conference. And Tony Poljan, okay, so UVA scores uh, late third quarter, right, uh, to make it 30-15. to they, they score and they go for two and they get it. It's 30-15. to and when Virginia Tech needs a stop, they get it, right? They get it. Divine Diablo with an interception. He was really good at safety for the Hokies uh, in what was his final regular season game for Tech. So, you know, Virginia Tech defensively, that was the story of the game for me um, because I think the offense really boils down to just like two big plays. And outside of that, it was just kind of up and down. They moved the ball fine, but wasn't great. Brennan Armstrong uh, was not very good. And I think you give credit to Virginia Tech defense here. Didn't run the ball well. He 15 carries, 23 yards. Virginia Tech took that away, which is the strength of Brandon Armstrong's game. Aired it out 46 times, only completed 25 passes. He threw two interceptions. So give Virginia Tech's defense a lot of credit. And UVA's defense, I thought, overall, played pretty well with the exception of those two huge plays. You know, they were able to get off the field on fourth down, force those field goals that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. But Virginia Tech went out and won this game with defense. And 
now we wait to see the status of Justin Fuente. As we record this Monday morning, there's a meeting scheduled this afternoon between the rector of the Board of Visitors, Whit Babcock, and uh, Dr. Timothy Sands, who's the school president. So that's a big meeting because Whit is going to present kind of what he wants to do next with the football program. It's leaning towards them making a change at this point, but nobody really knows until we find out what shakes out from that meeting. So now we kind of wait on the Virginia Tech side to see if they actually make a change to head coach with that $10 million buyout that drops from $12.5 million on Wednesday. It'll be interesting. Well, and I asked the question after the game, Mike, is if you're a Virginia Tech fan, it feels good to beat Virginia, you know, to take the take back the Commonwealth Cup, do all that. That's great. But winning a game that you'd previously won 15 years in a row, like, does, does that make us feel better about this? Like, is that a reason that we wouldn't fire him now? Like, is that the, is that the one thing that tells us, yeah, you know what, this thing's probably going in the right direction? This is where this decision by Whit Babcock and what he chooses to do, to do here is where fans come to understand just how important the Virginia game actually is to the athletic department. Is it so important that winning that game changes your thinking on the head coach? Because in my opinion, it shouldn't. That shouldn't be the standard at Virginia Tech. But if that's the standard, it gives you a pretty good idea of what the athletic department thinks of the football program right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it, it stuck out to me, Mike, and I, and I noticed this. Um, you mentioned that you know Brian Johnson had a big game, hit 47-yard uh, field goal, but uh, four field goals in this game. You know, again, as mentioned, like it felt like Virginia Tech's offense struggled a lot more than 33 points would indicate. And as mentioned, I mean, there was one long sustained drive that resulted in a touchdown early in the second quarter uh, that resulted in a six-yard touchdown run on a sweep by Trey Turner. But then, again, the other two touchdowns were a 76-yard run on a bust and a 60-yard catch and run by Tavion Robinson on a bust. But then other than that, as mentioned, the other four scores, 46-yard field goal, 47-yard field goal, 47-yard field goal, and a 30-yard field goal. So, like, Virginia Tech was able to work the ball down in towards, you know, scoring range, but then kind of stalled out a whole bunch. Um, so I thought, you know, other than, yeah, a couple of busts, a couple of, of bad, you know, bad plays by Virginia's defense, like, they hung in there fairly well, but that was really the yep. kind of thing that, that damned them in this game, ultimately. Right. I mean, even with that 76-yard run by Khalil Herbert, I mean, he had 19 carries for a little under 100 yards, right? So that's kind of the story of the game. I, th- I thought Virginia overall did a pretty nice job containing Khalil Herbert, and mm-hmm. he broke that long run and ended up being really crucial. And that's the element. And look, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, let's complain about the overall tone and tenor of the offense and how it's looked the last five or six weeks. But what you had in this game was something that's been missing. It's been hitting those big plays yeah you really haven't had that recently and that's really hurt the offense because when you're struggling like tech has and when you're as one-dimensional as tech is because the strength is running and throwing has not been a strength of this offense when you are that one-dimensional you rely probably a little bit too heavily on those huge plays and, and the big play elements of the offense has been missing for the better part of the last six weeks and it's a big reason why virginia tech has struggled so much so Credit to the Hokies for executing those plays, but as far as the overall offense and how it's structured and how it looks, I don't think you feel much better about it if you're a Virginia Tech fan and you're objectively looking at this game. Yeah, it's great to beat UVA. That's been dominating um, you know, the, the conversation on social media. But at the end of the day, like if you're looking at this objectively, 
it wasn't that great of a game offensively for Virginia Tech. The story of the game was the defense and how well they played. Yep. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention here, uh, Brandon Armstrong played okay in this game. Yeah. Um, he had a couple of picks. One in particular, I can I can distinctly remember that was a horrific interception. Like hit hit a Virginia Tech defender in the numbers without him having to move anywhere. Right. Um, and and it, w- something that you would normally say, well, that was probably a miscommunication with the wide receiver. It's like watching it back and even on the broadcast, it was like, I'm not even sure who he was trying to throw that to. Like receivers were so far out of the picture of where he was throwing it. Um, so yeah. yeah, not a, uh, not a perfect night by any stretch by Brandon Armstrong. Um, 25 of 46 for 259, two scores and two picks. Um, yeah, he had his struggles in this game as well. Yeah. Virginia Tech had four sacks, six tackles for loss as a team, put a lot of pressure on Brandon Armstrong, made him kind of look like a freshman. So yeah, that was weird. He, I mean, Armstrong's been really good. I was hyping him up going into this game. I mean, he's been really, really good the last six weeks or so. And man, these were two programs going in opposite directions, but this was not a good performance by UVA. No, it was not. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was surprised, you know, with as well as that offense has moved the ball on a fairly consistent basis against a lot of the teams they've played. Like they were not able to do that in this game. That, that caught me a little bit off guard. So, yep. Anyways, uh, Mike, Virginia has opted out of a bowl game. They are one of a couple of different teams. Boston College has as well, and then we'll talk about Pittsburgh here in a second. But uh, one of a few teams to have opted out of a uh, bowl game interest, they are, uh, they're done. So they, they finished season four, uh, five and five, four and five in conference. Overall, I, I think probably around what we expected from a record standpoint, not necessarily from a game-by-game game standpoint, but a uh, pretty decent year for Virginia. We'll talk about them a little more in the offseason. Yeah, they were a bit all over the map as far as like actual results are concerned. But as far as overall record, we knew this was going to be a little bit of a down year. So mm-hmm. finishing around 500 and being eligible for a bowl game in this weird 2020 year is not the worst thing for Bronco Mendenhall and his staff to hang their hat on. Way better than the floor was under uh, Mike London. So there's that. No doubt about it. If this is your floor year, this is fine. Yeah. If you're a Virginia fan. Yep. You are in good shape. Virginia Tech 33. Virginia 15. Uh, Mike, do you have any Virginia Tech fans in your life that you're uh, trying to get some Christmas gifts for? It, it turns out that I do. Really? Well, where would you go for those Christmas gifts if you were uh, looking for them? Home Field Apparel, Joey. Home, Home Field, Field Apparel. Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com. Premium vintage collegiate apparel. Uh, lots of great looking stuff. Virginia Tech in particular has a really good uh, collection on here. A number of the uh, old Fighting Gobblers shirts, and there's a sweatshirt with a cannon on it. Uh, I think it says what slipper shipper. What, what does it say, Mike? Skipper. Skipper. That's the cannon. The cannon. The name of the cannon. Yeah. yeah. Looks great. Looks comfortable. Comfortable. Uh, highly recommend go check them out. Uh, t-shirts. All sorts of, uh, of again sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, tank tops. Homefieldapparel.com. Mike. What do they uh, What do they do when they go there? Use the promo code GoACTC at checkout. Twenty percent off your first order. Uh, make sure to do that. Also tweet at the Homefield folks. Um, it's at Homefield Apparel with. Uh, no E in the apparel. You'll, you'll find them on Twitter. Yep. Uh, one of the most responsive social media groups or accounts out there. Super fun to um, follow. Super fun to follow. Basically, I mean, I've been talking about they basically replaced the Belk Bowl as far as like <laughs> the fun college football account on the internet. They're out there um, doing the Lord's work, so to speak. So, yeah, go check them out there. And if they don't have your school and you're really complaining about that, and you're wondering why they don't have apparel for your school yet, go tweet at them and they'll tell you why. And I promise it's not because they don't want to. 
They are they are trying to add any schools they're missing. They don't want to. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they do have several ACC schools on there, but again, and several other schools as well. If you're interested in clothing with like you know Butler or you know they have Army and Navy. If you were looking for something for this weekend's game, you could have gotten something there. Uh, Mike will say that uh, at this point they are not guaranteeing delivery by Christmas. Uh, we have missed that deadline. If you're listening to this after we recorded it, which of course you are, you couldn't listen before. Um, but if you want to still give someone a Christmas gift and it's like a little IOU, like it'll be here in three days, you can still do that. So go, go check out homefieldapparel.com. Again, go ACC at checkout for 20% off your first order. Homefieldapparel.com. Thank you guys for your support of them and of us by ordering from them. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure to go check that out. A little New Year's gift. Absolutely. Uh, another school they got on there, Pittsburgh. So if you, if you want some uh, Pittsburgh apparel to celebrate their big win over Georgia Tech this past week, uh, go do that. Speaking of which, Pittsburgh 34, Georgia Tech 20. Uh, Mike, can I just, I'm going to, I'm going to level with you here for a second. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to come in a little bit hot on this game. Um, yep. just straight up this game sucked. Yeah. This game sucked. It made me very angry to watch. And I don't know why, like I, I told my wife beforehand, like, I don't even really want to watch this game like that closely. Like I kind of know what's going to happen. I, you know, it's probably not going to be great. This game bothered me. This was just bad football. It was two teams playing sloppy ball, uh, Kenny Pickett is throwing passes all sorts of in, uh, inaccurate. Uh, Georgia Tech turns the ball over three times. Uh, they decide they're just not going to tackle Vincent Davis this whole game. Uh, the refs, the, the officiating was horrific. Uh, Total was, horseshit officiating. It was horrific. It made me extremely angry. Uh, the lights went out at one point. Like again, this was like the Jefferson Pilot game. You had to, I had to watch it on like the ESPN app, and my parents in Atlanta couldn't couldn't watch it like this whole thing sucked and, and it made me so angry and I, I don't really fully know why I, I'm just I'm kind of glad it's over at this point I don't know I mean I didn't enjoy it at all um, Thursday night was a rough football night for me Joey the, the Patriots just performed in a lackluster manner I had to watch that I had pit Georgia Tech on and neither team really played like they practiced at all all yeah. week um, we got our picks at, wrong on this at, game. Uh, say it again. We got our pick wrong on this game because of a bad oh, beat towards yeah, the God. end. Okay, so that's a whole other thing. So I had Georgia Tech as my lock of the week, uh, plus seven. Everybody was making fun of me for it. Uh, by the way, that should have hit. Mm-hmm. That really should have hit. That really pissed me off. Um, Georgia Tech offensively just totally up and down. Some good Jeff Sims moments. Some really objectively terrible Jeff Sims moments. Georgia Tech really couldn't run the ball. Um, not for a lack of trying. Not for a lack of trying. 29 carries for 98 yards. Maybe an early Kobe Bryant candidate there. Good Lord. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, the law firm, Joey. Uh, Davis and Davis? Love that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, Vincent Davis is the head partner, so to speak. 25 carries, 247 and a touchdown. A.J. Davis was not nearly as good. 10 carries for 25 yards. Uh, Pittsburgh, as a team, they rack up 317 yards rushing on the ground and, and two touchdowns. Of course, most of that coming from Vincent Davis. So Georgia Tech's rushing defense was objectively terrible, really bad. And the officiating, if get me started on that, I mean, there were multiple moments throughout the game where it just struck me at how bad it was. And also, anytime you have national college football writers talking about how bad the officiating is, that's when you've hit, you know, peak, go ACC, right? Yeah. I mean, the officiating was so, so bad, Joey. And and the thing that stuck out to me about it, Mike, it, it wasn't any any one call. It was that it was it was imbalanced. So I 
I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before. I umpired Pee Wee baseball when I was in high school. And that's where you start having to call balls and strikes. And I can distinctly remember being told when you are umpiring and you're calling balls and strikes, it actually doesn't really matter what your strike zone is. You just have to be consistent with it. You know, if you're going to call it one way for one team, call it that way for the other team. Like, just be consistent. And that was, I think, what was really getting me about this was they were calling, like, ticky-tack, like, nonsense calls against Georgia Tech, and they were calling very little of anything against Pittsburgh. Um, so that was that yeah. was very frustrating. There were a couple of drives that got extended for nonsense calls that shouldn't have been made. Um there was there was a point late in the game where it felt like the referees were starting to almost like lose control of the game because you know some of the frustration coming from especially from the Georgia Tech sideline there was there was word that Pittsburgh's team was you know riling up the fans or whatever I don't really care about that um, you know let them do what they're going to do um, there right. was also a lot to be made about the uh, post game handshake between Jeff Collins and Pat Narduzzi which Collins kind of threw his hand out there and then there was a quick moment of contact and then he just sort of walked away and Pat Narduzzi was all mad about that and people wanted to make a big deal about that on social media again I don't really care about that like whatever um, Pat Narduzzi talked about Georgia Tech cold showers after the game in the locker room which yeah. was something else as well I sure look I spent a time a, a while on that campus Mike there were there were one or two cold showers that had to be taken it, it just it happens like Happens on every college campus, by the way. No different for Virginia Tech. I will say that. Yeah, this game, this game just annoyed me um, in a lot of ways. That I, again, I'm not super proud of it, but again, I, I think I had some frustration too with Narduzzi. Um, not anything in particular. It's just that if if he wants to kind of make a big deal out of this game and and kind of what it turned into a game this late in the season with two teams that are just ready to be done. Right. And just like looking at him and what this program is in year five or year six of the Narduzzi era and all this stuff, like I just, I don't know, something about it, it, it all just got to me uh, Thursday night, and I don't know why. Um, but anyways, as mentioned, uh, Pittsburgh has opted out of a bowl game. Uh, Georgia Tech coming out of this game the following night, actually, Thursday, uh, Thursday night. This game was on Thursday night, sorry. Friday night, they announced that they were going to be uh, opting out of the Miami game, basically, that they weren't going to be able to field enough players, which I, I guess there were a couple of injuries. Uh, Jeff Sims took a pretty nasty hit at the very end of this game that uh, it looked like he might have had a concussion or something coming from it. Uh, and then David uh, Curry for Georgia Tech's defense looked like he might have broken his hand in the middle of the game, but he came back in and kept playing with you know, a, a cast or something on it. So... I don't know, maybe just a couple injuries were what it was, but I, my my take on it, Mike, and, and people didn't like this, but basically was if if you can tell me 24 hours after this game started that you won't have enough players to play in eight days, maybe you uh -huh. shouldn't have played last night either. Right. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have played. Uh, we actually saw that in the Minnesota game over the weekend. They had like something like 30 players, 30 scholarship players who were unavailable yeah. uh, in the game that they played. So this has happened a few times this year. It happened a few times this weekend. Yep. So that was a little odd. Um, hey, you know what? Georgia Tech might have some players that aren't available, might have some players opting out, whatever, and that might cause them to you know, not play that Miami game. Miami probably, you know, after the performance that we saw over the weekend, they might have some coaches opting out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are elements to that, I think, some layers to it. And that's fine. If they don't want to play, they don't want to play. It's fine. It's a meaningless game at the end of the year. Georgia Tech's three and seven. They wouldn't be favored in the Miami game. They'd probably lose that. Yeah. Uh, although if you, you know, run for five hundred yards, you have a pretty good shot at winning, it turns out. So <laughs> I I mean I know look, a play that that'll work pretty canceled. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it worked out okay. So uh, 
yeah, I mean, if if you decide that you don't want to play, you don't want to play, that's fine. If you don't want to play in a bowl game, I get it. It's a pandemic year. Don't hold Pittsburgh accountable for that. That's fine. If they don't want to play, they don't want to play. They've been going through this weird season, getting tested multiple times a week. It sucks for the players. It sucks for the coaches. Really sucks for all involved. It's a really difficult year for everybody. So if they don't want to play, they don't want to play. Good year for Pittsburgh, I guess. But we're in year five under Narduzzi. They're six and five. They're five and five in the ACC, and they're not really getting any better. So yeah, I think that coaching position is going to be on our watch list next year, Joey. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've talked about him a couple times, really, in the last month, month and a half, and in that role, and it's it's pretty clear that they're not going to be able to get rid of him this year, even if they want to. Um, they're under several more years of contract. I think he it runs through like twenty twenty four, if memory serves. So not not really an issue for immediate, but again, something we should discuss this offseason going into next year and kind of what, what ex- expectations should be and you know what things are actually going to look like, especially as they move on from Kenny Pickett, presumably, who this yeah. was probably his last season. And, you know, uh, yeah, there'll be some discussions to be had about Pittsburgh. Um, only other thing I was going to mention, and I, I alluded towards this a little bit, Mike, when you mentioned it, but uh, Georgia Tech's game plan in this game, this is, and, and this is again, this kind of, lends itself to a bigger theme of what I've been frustrated with with this Jeff Collins coaching staff and and really the whole Jeff Collins era so far at Georgia Tech is the game plan coming into this game was apparently run the ball quite a bit which is really annoying when you're going up against a pit defense that's like one of the top five rush defenses in the country like yeah get more creative than that nobody runs the ball against them you can't either (laughs) yes Maybe throw it a little bit. Their secondary is very much vulnerable, can be attacked, you know, you can, and you can do some things to simulate a run game, you know, throwing really short passes and screens and that kind of thing. Like, get creative and do something like that. Don't just beat your head against the wall and get to a point and say, well, just let me beat my head against the wall a few more times. I think I'm starting to get somewhere. Like, no, you're not. Stop it. Jeff Sims is a true freshman. He threw for 238 yards in this game. It can be done. Yeah. Like, yeah. It can be done. They, they looked at the Virginia Tech playbook for this game. You don't want to do that. It didn't work for Virginia Tech against Pittsburgh. In yeah. fact, it went really poorly. Turns out it went really poorly for Georgia Tech, too. Try to put the ball in the air a little bit more. Yeah. I don't care that he's a true freshman. You're not going to run the ball on this team, so don't try. Yeah. Did, uh, did North Carolina run the ball on this team? They didn't play this team, so never mind. They normally would, but you know the schedule, I guess, this year. Coastal teams weren't all playing each other, I guess, so there's that. Um yeah, I mean, I Virginia Tech didn't play Georgia Tech. Yeah. That is that is true. Very true. Uh, Mike, that's all I got in this game. Anything else? It pissed me off. Next. Pissed me off, too. Pitt, 34. Georgia Tech, 20. Uh, let's move on. Mike, Louisville, 45. Wake Forest, 21. It is crazy, Mike, what happens when Louisville doesn't turn the ball over, huh? What the hell was this? This was so disappointing. I bet Wake money line. I told As you all I. to take a look at it. You bet it. We lost it. This game was never competitive. Wake Forest turning the ball over. I mean, I, I guess it was competitive in the first quarter, so I, I will give Wake Forest some credit. They did come out and score first. Louisville ran away with this game in the second quarter. That's where the game flipped. And then they go out and score, outscore Wake Forest 24-11 in the second half. Wake Forest turning the football over the way that they did here wasn't good. They lose a fumble. They throw an interception. Louisville takes care of the football. And like you mentioned, it's amazing what happens when they do that. They ran for 254 and four scores on the ground. Uh, Cunningham was a little bit up and down in this game, uh, but generally pretty good. 195 yards and two touchdowns. Had some passes that could have been intercepted there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that made me kind of scratch my head. But overall, the stat line looks pretty good. So, hey, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, Louisville's second half drive chart here, Mike. 
touchdown, turnover on downs, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. They, they, they were rolling by the end of this game. Um, yeah, Wake Forest, who had turned the ball over one time all year coming into this game, turned it over twice. Uh, both of those, I believe, resulted in scores for Louisville. Um, yeah, a touchdown and a field goal, so they got 10 points off of turnovers here. Um, and, and it felt like that the, those turnovers, you know, the first one in particular, an interception by Sam Hartman that was, it was a little bit bobbled, if I'm remembering correctly, um, was right in the middle. Of, you know, Louisville had just hit a big play uh, to score a touchdown, a 70-yard run from Jalen Mitchell, uh, set up a five-yard touchdown run by Malik Cunningham, and then immediately after that, Sam Hartman throws an interception that gives him a short field, and then Louisville goes five plays, 37 yards, and another touchdown. Uh, pushes the game from a 10-7 Wake lead to a 21-10 Louisville lead at halftime. And, yeah, just sort of, you know, boiled over on Wake from there. Uh, Louisville goes up, you know, 28-10 right after halftime. And, yeah, just sort of got out of control for, for the Deeks. Um, not not the best afternoon for Sam Hartman. 17-41 um, for 224, two touchdowns and a, and a pick. Um, they they struggled. You know, Louisville's defense actually looked pretty good in this game. They, yeah, they, they did. I, I've been saying they they seem like they figured something out on defense and, and they sure had um, they forgot to cover Jaquari Robertson a couple times but you know other than that pretty good afternoon for Louisville altogether I, I'd have to say yeah I, th- I thought so too it was surprising that Wake Forest couldn't move the ball better in this game and I I was surprised that Sam Hartman struggled the way that he did mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of my big takeaway here and I mean give credit to Louisville's defense it's been up and down a lot this year you and I were trying to figure out if they were going to quit given who's opted out and given the Scott Satterfield stuff from the last couple of weeks where he kind of flirted with South Carolina that kind of blew up in space. I mean, going out and winning by like three and a half touchdowns in a game against a comparable Wake Forest team is the way to respond. So give that program and that coaching staff a lot of credit. Yep. Yeah. I mean, definitely worth mentioning is, yeah, we, we thought Louisville was going to come out here and just roll their helmets out and this this coaching staff doesn't care about us they're they're ready to leave and it it sounds like from the time that we recorded the podcast to the time they actually stepped on the field there was a little bit of a, a kumbaya moment of yep maybe we can all be friends and, and all work together here um that kind of helped you know but louisville played more inspired than i thought they would and yeah i mean really good performance jalen mitchell in particular 20 carries for 168 yards on the ground i mean for a guy that I, i'd barely even heard of coming into the week like that's a pretty solid performance. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I was pretty happy with what I saw as a as a Louisville fan. I was happy with what I saw here. As a Wake Forest better, I was not. So yes, you know, with you there is what it is. Uh, yeah, Louisville no turnovers. Wake two turnovers that play a lot into this game. I would say. Yep. Louisville forty five, Wake Forest twenty one. Last one, Mike. Florida State fifty six, Duke thirty five. Duke is blown out by Wake or by Florida State bad right now that's that's where we're at i didn't watch a second of this but i saw it was 28 to 7 after the first quarter and then i was like all right this game's over and then duke kind of scratch and clawed their way back into it before halftime yep and florida state just went out and kind of sat on them in the second half yep and that was that um final score probably not a great indicator of how much of a blowout this really was florida state jumped out to two separate huge leads and duke kind of just hung around from a point standpoint, but it just didn't really look all that competitive. Uh, <laughs> Chase Bryce. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, this, this experiment with Chase Bryce at Duke has not gone according to plan. No. 7 of 17 for 81 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Big yikes. 
it's not going great. Not going great. Um, yeah, worth mentioning, Florida State scores a touchdown early in the fourth quarter to make it 49-21. So if you feel like that would be a little bit more of a blowout than 56-35, there you go. Duke also scored a touchdown with two and a half minutes to go to finally push that margin a little bit closer. So this was a, a, a complete and total beatdown from Florida State for, for a lot of this game, you know, certainly in the early part and then after halftime it was as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, we're going to talk about Duke. I, I – I'm wondering if there's a couple conversations going on up there about, you know, potential retirement or, or something, you know, they don't want to fire him, but uh, I don't know how much fun he's having right now either. So might be time. Yeah. He's on uh, Frank Beamer level of goodwill <laughs> regarding him in the university. Probably the best coach so, in program history. Yes. Uh, that's what gets you the goodwill obviously. And he deserves that. He will never be fired in name only, right? But if yeah. they wanted to force him out and make him retire, they will. <laughs> so I don't know I don't know what Duke football looks like moving forward because I don't know who the coach is going to be. It's safe to say whoever they get in the door there is probably not going to be Cutcliffe. Uh, but there is a chance that you can get an up-and-coming head coach who at least uses Duke as one of those jobs as like a stepping stone, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we saw from Dino Babers at Syracuse, at least we thought. You might be able to make that sort of hire. One name that comes to mind for me is Will Healy at Charlotte, who's kind of an up-and-coming name but isn't burning things down so quickly and building them back up so quickly that he's going to land like a huge, huge job, in my opinion. But I think he could land Duke, given what he's done at Charlotte in the short time that he's been there. I think that's a job that he could potentially land and kind of use that to elevate his status in the coaching ranks. And if Duke becomes a stepping stone job, let's be honest, that would be a step up from what they've been historically uh, uh, yeah. before Cutcliffe. I mean, this was a program that looked like this a lot. Two and nine, one and 10, one and 11, whatever, you know, 12 game season looked pretty bad most of the time. Yeah. If Duke a stepping stone job post Cutcliffe, that would be an upgrade for yeah. the program as a yeah. whole. And it would be also a testament to Cutcliffe and what he's built there, by the way, too. Um, don't mm-hmm. want to, don't want that to be lost on him because he's built up that goodwill with the university for a reason. And he has changed the culture of the program. The last couple of years have not been great, but I don't think it's going to be the situation where the next coach, if there is a next coach here shortly steps in and all of a sudden just has nothing to work with. I think there is some talent on that roster that you can utilize. It just hasn't worked out the last couple of years with David Cutcliffe and Florida state. One, one quick, like finishing on Florida state in this game, you saw that they have the talent to blow a team like Duke off the field. You also saw the inconsistency from Florida state that has earmarked the reason why they're three and six. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of both in this game, but a good win for Florida state for doing what they were supposed to do to Duke. Yeah. They, yeah, they ran the ball really effectively in this game in particular. Yeah. A couple of long runs contributed, but still seven and a half yards per carry on the game on 43 carries. Like, that's that's pretty good. Uh, it's, it's better than they've been able to do for a lot of the year. Um, yeah, worth mentioning, David Cutcliffe from 2012 to 2018 had six bowl games in seven years. And I realize that bowl games have kind of changed in, in availability and meaning and all that in, in recent years. But, I mean, this Duke program, you'd have to go back to World War II to find the six bowl games they went to last. I mean, it right. is, it is, it is staggering what he's been able to accomplish with this program. And so, yeah, I, yep. yeah, they will never come out and say, you know, we've officially fired David Cutcliffe as head coach, but it, it I mean, the other name that, that has been brought up for a number of jobs recently that it seems like he's going to get passed over for bigger ones, but I think would be an outstanding hire. There would be Jamie Chadwell from coastal Carolina. Yeah. Yep. 
Like you go get him, and you'd all of a sudden be pretty dangerous, I think. So, a young, energetic coach there um, to kind of follow up what Cutcliffe's built would be great. And I think the Duke program would be better off for it in the long run if they made that move sooner rather than later, instead of holding on to what Cutcliffe has delivered and just kind of being real bad. Yep. <laughs> like, know when you have a good thing and know when that good thing is is gone a little bit. But if you were going to make a move, this wouldn't be a bad year to do it. Yep, absolutely. Florida State 56, Duke 35. Mike, you want to give out some awards? Yep. The GoACC moment of the week came from that Pittsburgh-Georgia Tech game, and it was something that we didn't mention specifically as we were uh, recapping the game because I wanted to save it. Uh, yep. I don't know if we mentioned that Kenny Pickett did throw an interception in this game. Um, so Georgia Tech turned it over three times. Pitt turned it over once. Except for the fact, Mike, and it's probably worth noting, that one of those turnovers for Georgia Tech came on the same play that Kenny Pickett turned it over. Yeah, not really a consequential turnover there for Kenny Pickett, it turns out. It turns out not, yeah. Uh, Kenny Pickett throws the ball down the field. It is bobbled a little bit by his receiver, and it falls into the arms of Georgia Tech linebacker Quez Jackson. So got the interception, got the turnover, start running it back. And then, Mike, Quez Jackson gets a little uh, ambitious or a little entrepreneurial. and Entrepreneurial. A little entrepreneurial. Uh, and he decides, well, we can keep this thing going. I just got to turn around and pitch it. Except he's already being tackled by two defenders or two pit players. Uh, and next thing you know, ball's on the ground and Pitt picks it back up. And now they've got the ball back. Go ACC to you, Chris Jackson. Entrepreneurial is a hell of a way to describe what happened. <laughs> what an adjective. I mean, it, it did feel a little bit like a, uh, a perfect, just little cherry on top of a game that it kind of felt like it was like a who cares? Like just. Whatever, we'll just you know do it live and just make it up as we go, and it doesn't nothing really nothing counts, nothing matters. So whatever, just have fun with it, and it's just oh it, my gosh, it was inventive. I will say that. Yeah, it was. Um, so go ACC to you, Quez Jackson, and really to just everybody involved with that play. That play was a mess. Um, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. Uh, we're going to South Beach for this one, Mike. <laughs> Taking our talents to South Beach. Too bad Miami didn't take their talents to South Beach on Saturday because, boy, oh, boy, uh, the You Tried Award, courtesy of our boy, Brian Van Gorder, goes to the Miami Hurricanes defense. A school record 778 yards allowed. Give up over 500 yards on the ground. Just a really, really terrible performance. Mike, thought experiment on this, and, and hear me out real quick. Yep. Would Miami's defense have performed better on Saturday if they were coached by Brian Van Gorder? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Does Don't Brian Van Gorder's defense give up more or less than 550 yards on the ground? Look, it's closer than you might think. <laughs> it's far closer than you might think. Yeah. Um, so, good on you. You tried Miami defense. Uh, you tried to stop the run. You tried to stop the pass. You, you tried to do anything to really slow North Carolina down. And it went okay. Not, Look, not Cam that okay. is going to really laugh because we know that Cam is an avid listener of the podcast as well as frequent guest. He's going to really laugh that we brought that up, uh, <laughs> but he might not disagree that a Brian Van Gorder defense would have performed just as poorly, yep. um, maybe even a little bit better. I think he would agree with that. Yeah, I. You know, and really truthfully, if we want to actually like break this down, a Brian Van Gorder defense might have given up a little let you know a little less on the ground but would have given it all right back through the air. So oh, yeah. take solace in that, uh, Blake Baker. It's okay. Different ways to skin a cat, as they say. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, oh, I forgot my sound here. Good. This professional podcasting mic here. Let's cue this up real quick. Uh, the Kobe Bryant Memorial. 
a volume shooter of the week award. We really kind of struggled to pick one, Mike, but I got a number of uh, a number of candidates. Uh, Pitt running back AJ Davis, ten carries for twenty five yards. Uh, Georgia Tech running back Jordan Mason with something like thirteen carries for forty one yards. Yeah, Mike, you had something there. Those are real bad. Um, do we want to talk about Duke real quick? Chase Bryce, seven of seventeen for eighty one yards. Like yeah. you mentioned. Yep. That wasn't very good. Um, yeah, there, there are some picks out there. Uh, like you mentioned, it's hard to pick just one. Oh, let me go down the list. I had I had another one here. Let me find Deion it. Jackson for Duke? Deion Jackson, another strong choice. 14 uh, carries, 34 yards. <laughs> Sam, Sam Hartman, 17 of 41 for 224 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. That wasn't that great. Not efficient. So, real bad. Yeah, so... Fun week in the ACC here. Um, Mike, team of the week, I think it's got to be UNC, right? It it does. I mean, 70, 70, 700, sorry, wow, almost had a stroke there. 778 yards and 62 points. That is team of the week worthy. And for player of the week, Joey, I think it's going to have to be players of the week for North Carolina. Michael Carter, 24 carries, 308, two scores. Javante Williams, 23 carries, 236, three touchdowns. Nice little senior day there for well, I won't call it senior day. He celebrated Miami senior day. Michael Carter did. Yep, yep, uh, yeah. <laughs> I tweeted that out at one point. It was like that's going to be hard to beat. That is going to be hard to beat for a pair of teammates to run the ball for over 500 yards uh, in a game. Set a number of FBS records. You know, most yards Miami's ever allowed. Like again, all the all the numbers out of that game were just absurd. So good on you, UNC. Good on you, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Team of the week, players of the week uh, from the basketball conference podcast. Mike, that's all I got on week 14. Anything else before we start working on getting out of here? I think we're all set. Good recap. Absolutely. ACC championship game next week. And it's a big one. Florida State at Wake Forest. Noon on the ACC network. <laughs> Little appetizer. We'll see uh, Yeah, we'll see who wins the ACC title there in, in Winston-Salem. Um, yeah, should be fun. Uh, we, we've got a little bit more, too. There, there was uh, news of a potential new uh, conference commissioner coming to the ACC that broke this morning we don't have time to hit that on this here podcast but figure on the uh, preview coming up for week 15 slash the championship game uh, we'll, we'll talk about that on that one so stay tuned here to hear some more about that it'll be interesting it should be I, I, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited it, it, this looks like it's going to be a good hire but we'll talk about it more then Mike, let's get out of here. We're going to come back and preview those games here shortly. But in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, and Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. Go to homefield.com, homefield apparel, 20% off your first order using the promo code GOACC at checkout. Helps Connor and the folks over there. Helps us out a lot too. So it's a nice mutual partnership, so to speak. Uh, so make sure to go check that out. Homefieldapparel.com. Look good, feel good, support your teams, all that good stuff. Uh, and Mike, by the way, they can also find us on Instagram at BZ Podcast ACC. So we're working on firing yep. that up. Come, uh, come give us a like. Mike, uh, that's all I got. You want to get out of here, come back and preview some games? We got a big one. We do. We got a big one. Clemson and ND, baby. 
Absolutely. Round two, we will we will see. For what it's worth, Clemson, a, a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, I believe I saw. So that's that's going to be really interesting to talk about, not only just game in particular, but also the spread and the numbers. So we will uh, we'll come back and do that. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.